All right, this may sound terrible. The snow falls outside my window And all's as quiet as can be It's midnight, I guess this is Christmas But there's no Christmas for me There's no gifts, there's no milk and cookies No stockings hung up with care There's no tree, not even a chimney No way St. Nick could get there So Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas If you're lucky enough to have one Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas Call me when it's done I wake up on Christmas morning And I just wish I was dead Then I hear some carolers singing And then I go back to bed There's no point in getting too festive Not when there's nobody here It's alright, I'll be quite well rested I might just sleep till New Year So Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas If you're lucky enough to have one I know it's precious and good They call this the season of giving I'd give my love if I could This Christmas I want it so badly I want to answer the call But no one will open my presents So I don't wrap them at all So Merry Christmas, Merry If you're lucky enough to have one Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas Call me when it's done I said Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas If you're lucky enough to have one Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas Call me when it's done Hey everybody, um, it's Jordan D. White here uh, for Casting Wax. I recorded that uh, me playing Scapey's song yesterday, and I thought, I have a cold, so it's not might not sound good. It sounds okay. I sound way worse today. So I'm not going to be doing a whole lot of talking, but Merry Christmas, everyone, and uh, Happy Holidays. Uh, even though I am still kind of boycotting the holiday uh, for um, to get higher taxes. I almost got it, uh, but then they made a deal. So at any rate, um, yeah. What was I going to say? Oh. So what I'm going to play, I, 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 you know, I didn't bring everybody over because I'm sick. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play some extra bonus holiday stuff. We're going to have two classic uh, waxwork holiday stuff in addition to new serials from our good friends in Binghamton. So uh, up first, uh, if, you've, if you've heard this before, listen to it again. It's so freaking funny. Uh, it's Scapey Stories rendition 
of a Christmas Carol. Uh, enjoy, and you can hear me back when my voice sounded good. Scooby Stories from a Cat in the Dark. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Scapey Stories from a Cat in the Dark. My name is Jordan D. White, and of course my cat Scape is going to tell us a scary story. The idea behind the show usually is that I will read a story to Scape and then Scape will tell it to someone else. But when I first approached Scape with this idea, he at first uh, said, well, he didn't need me to read him stories, that he knew scary stories. Well, yeah, Dad, I do. I know a lot of scary stories, so you didn't have to read them. Yeah, but I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be specific. Anyway, well, you'll see kind of one of the reasons why I didn't trust him to just know scary stories. Because one of the examples that he used of scary stories that he knew is uh, this one, which is A Christmas Carol. That is a scary story. Well, I I don't think it's traditionally thought of as a scary story, but since it is Christmas, I figured I'd give you a chance to to try it out and and, and tell it. Dad, it's it's got ghosts in it. So it's scary. It's very scary, especially when I tell it. (laughs) No, and that's fine. And that's fine. We're going to get to it. But of course, now you've never actually read this story. I mean, you don't, you know, read. So you've never read the story. You just know it through knowing things. Yeah, uh, I just kind of picked it up. Uh, I don't really know where I heard it, but generally I just heard it, okay? Okay. And since I did not read the story to Scape, Scape is going to tell this story to me. It's a very tender father and son cat Christmas moment. Please, Scape, begin. Thank you, thank you. A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Twas the night before Christmas, and, um, there was, like, a guy named Scrooge. And Scrooge was, like, uh, rich, so he had a lot of money, and he could do pretty much whatever he wants, right? And because he was rich and could do whatever he wants, he was not so nice of a guy, okay? So he would be, like, at work, and he'd be like, Hey, Bob Cratchit, uh, you're, like, uh, too hot, so no fire, you get to be cold. <laughs> Save me money. <laughs> and people were like, it's Christmas. Don't take us out of our houses. And he was like, too bad. And um, and his friends were like, hey, come to a party. And he was like, no, shut up. <laughs> so basically, everybody hates him. Except that guy, Bob Cratchit. He's kind of like a real super nice guy. So he's like, uh, okay, Mr. Scrooge. I still like you, even though... <laughs> You're a jerk. But I still like you. And Scrooge is just like, whatever. And so, uh, so the night before Christmas, like I said, he goes home to his house and he, like, gets in bed and he starts hearing, like, noises. Creepy noises, okay? Noises are like, and then he's like, uh, freak out a little bit because I don't know why this noise is happening. He's like, okay. And so, all of a sudden, boom, burst into the room, uh, like a dead guy, okay? It's like a zombie, okay? A zombie, okay? And he's got, like, chains on him, and he's like... Rotting, and he's like fresh is falling off of his body, and it's gross. He's like, gross. Wait, hold on, a zombie? A zombie? I don't remember there being zombies in this. Well, it's dead. It's a dead guy, so it's a zombie. He's walking, walking dead zombie. Okay, but he's not gonna eat his brains or anything. Who says zombies have to 
freak brains. It's not a rule. This guy just is like creepy. Anyway, look, he's fresh, falling off his mouth. Scrooge, he says. Of course, it's like, uh, what me? No, what? Why? You know, what do you want? No, hold on. I thought, but again, what you're saying, I, why is he, isn't he a ghost? Isn't it? Dad, you're ruining my story. It's getting scary and you're getting in the way. It's not a ghost, okay? It's a zombie. I will tell you why in a minute because it's getting there, okay? It's a zombie. Okay, zombie, zombie, zombie. So Scrooge is like, where do I go? And this guy's like, yes, I'll come for you. And he's like, what? Why? I don't know. Why? And the guy's like, because you're a jerk and I don't like jerks. And he's like, wait, you look kind of familiar, zombie. Are you somebody I know? And he's like, yes, I was your, your friend or something. And I was a jerk and now you're a jerk. So I'm going to send free ghosts for you. And the guy's like, Scrooge is like, what, 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 what? And by the way, that's how you know this guy is not a ghost because he says he's going to have free ghosts. He's not one of them. Okay, okay. I got you. Anyway, so he's like, okay, so free scary ghosts. And this is a scary story because they're ghosts, okay? So, and Scrooge is like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. When are they coming? And he's like, oh, during the night. So just wait up, okay? And Scrooge is like, and so, in, in a minute, then the first ghost comes. And the first ghost is so spooky. He's like a big, fat guy who's going to, like, sit on Scrooge any second. And Scrooge is like, oh, no, don't sit on me, don't sit on me. And the guy's like, oh, I might, so I'm a ghost. So, here's my name is Ghost of Christmas Past. And that means I haunt the past. Mysterious, mysterious. And so, uh, Scrooge is like, oh, no, the past. Oh, okay. What about it? And he's like, well, let me show you. I remember when you were younger and you were like uh, a kid and you were like, right, Christmas or something? And Scrooge is like, oh, yeah, I remember. That was cool. Why are you showing me this? I thought you were scary. And he's like, I am scary. <laughs> and he's like, uh, remember you had a girlfriend? And he's like, uh, yeah. And he's like, remember you had, like, a good time sometimes? And the guy's like, yeah, uh, I do remember all that. Thank you for cheerful ghost. You're not scary ghost. And he's like, I am scary ghost because you don't have any friends now. And everybody thinks you're a jerk. You'll see. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> and Scrooge is like, what? That's kind of mean of you. And the ghost's like, well, too bad. Bye. And he leaves, but he, right, he was scary. Then next comes another ghost. Another ghost comes in right after, and another ghost is like, uh, some other thing, but scary looking. Maybe, uh, okay, maybe like a goblin ghost, maybe. So the goblin ghost. Is it a, go wait, is it a goblin ghost? You're saying maybe. Well, yeah, for this, okay, it is. It's a goblin ghost, okay? And it's like, it's got fangs and pointy ears, and it's like a green ghost. It's scary, is the point. And Scrooge sees it and is like, oh my god, you're scary. And he's like, I know, I know, I'm very scary. I'm the ghost of Christmas presents that will haunt you because they're surprises. And Scrooge is like, oh no. No, I don't, I think it's, it's not, I don't think it's Christmas presents. I think it's Christmas present, isn't it? What do you mean? Like, it's not like gifts that. It is, it's gifts. It's, it's a ghost of presents, ghost presents. I don't, okay, well, I'll just, okay. Uh, that is, because listen what he tells him. He says, Rook, I will show you what everybody gets for Christmas. At Bob Cratchit's house, they get nothing because they have no monies. <laughs> because you're a jerk, by the way. That's kind of scary. And Scrooge is like, okay, wow, that is. And then he's like, look, are your friends and your family, guess what they get? Uh, good stuff, and they're happy, but guess who they didn't? 
Yet you're giving presents to is you because you weren't there, so meh. And Scrooge is like, well, that sort of sucks. And he's like, yeah. Well, that's scary. I'm a goblin, by the way. A goblin ghost, actually. And, uh, so that's... <sighs> Fine. And so that was, that ghost was like, I'm done now. And Scrooge is like, well, uh, I tell you, that was kind of convincing, uh, cause you guys are scary and, um, you know, I used to have a nice time and be nice and then I stopped being nice and now I got no friends. So, yeah, I guess I would be nice cause you guys really scared me, ghost-like, and, yeah. You're really selling the scary thing. It's a scary story because, Dad, if you saw one ghost, that would be scary. This guy has already seen two ghosts and a zombie, alright? And he's scared. And the ghost is like, uh, yeah, but, hmm, it's, uh, it's gotta be free ghosts, because we said, so you gotta watch out, there's one more ghost, and he's like, scarier than me. And I'm a goblin ghost, so. And Scrooge is like, oh god, I don't want to see it. And he's like, well, too bad. So, then, the goblin ghost leaves, and the final ghost comes in. And the final ghost, he is like a skeleton, okay? In a coat, which is like super scary, I promise. And Scrooge is like, oh god, skeleton in a coat, that is the scariest thing. Why is, I don't, why is the skeleton in a coat the scariest thing, Scape? I, I mean, I know the answer, actually, but I don't know if you know the answer. Dad, it doesn't, fears are irrational, okay? It doesn't need explanation. Maybe it taps into, like, our base fear of a skeletons showing themselves or somebody being secret skeleton under their coats. No, I don't think that's what it is, Gabe. It's because the skeleton, in the, it's not just a coat, it's a like a hood and a cloak and it, it looks like it, the, the image of death. Well, whatever. But, alright, fine. Then this guy looked like the image of death. Blah, 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 blah. But he was a skeleton in a coat and Scrooge was like, you're super duper scary. You don't even need to say anything. Uh, I'm already convinced. And the guy's like, well, too bad. I'm scary anyway. And I will show you the future. Guess what happens in the future, Scrooge? Guess what happens in the future? And Scrooge is like, uh, I don't know, but you don't have to tell me. And he's like, you do. I do have to tell you. Here's what happens. Uh, you're gonna die, my friend. You are gonna die. And guess what? You're a jerk, so nobody cares that you die. That's what happens in the future. And Scrooge is like, no! I don't want to die! Tell me I don't have to die! And the ghost is like, well, I can't tell you that, so you better think about it. And Scrooge says, well, there's got to be something I can do. Tell me there's something I can do. And the ghost is like, uh, tell you what, I'm not going to answer your question, but, uh, I'm going to throw you in a coffin and bury you alive. <laughs> and Scrooge is like, don't do that, that's the worst thing. And he's like, well, too bad. Throws him in a coffin, buries him alive. Okay. And Scrooge is like, this is terrible, this is terrible. <laughs> Wait, the ghost buries him alive? Why does the ghost bury him alive? Dad, it doesn't matter, but He's like, okay, bury him, help me, help me. And, uh, and he's like flashing around, scared. So this guy can move, unlike last time the guy couldn't move when he was buried alive. That was a different story. This is Scrooge. Scrooge is like, and he, all of a sudden, he wakes up and he realizes that it's not actually, uh, he's not in a coffin. It's Christmas morning. He was maybe dreaming, but maybe it was just a real free ghost and a zombie. And so he's like, 
Oh my god. Okay, uh, here's what I'm gonna do. Uh, number one, not be such a jerk. Number two, give people Christmas presents, cause that's cool. Okay. And number three, like, uh, you know, remember to be good all the time and happy. <laughs> and so he jumps up out of bed and he, like, gets a bunch of money and he buys lots of presents and he gives presents to, like, uh, everybody. And he goes to Bob Kratz's house and he's like, here's some money, here's some chicken, nice food, here's some happy things, uh, here's some stuff for your kids, here's some, like, other things. And, uh, your kid that was sick, did I not mention that kid? Well, too bad. Kid that is sick. Tiny Tim, I think. You get to go to a doctor <laughs> because you didn't get to. But now you do. Because I have lots of money and I will give it to you. <laughs> and everybody's like, oh my goodness, what happened? And he's like, uh, nothing. I just don't want ghosts to kill me. So, Christmas time now. And, uh, then Scrooge was like, he sneezed. And then Tiny Tim was like, God bless you, everyone. Okay, Scape, I love you. You're a great cat. I have an English degree, and you're wrong about everything. But that was a very nice story, and oh gosh, was it scary. It scared Scrooge into being a nice guy, so maybe it would scare our listeners into also being nice people. It will scare them. Uh, is there, I mean, there's obviously, now we know that there's a scary moral, because it has moral right in it. Tell us what the scary moral is, Scape. Oh, yes, the scary moral is, watch out for free ghosts and zombies on Christmas Eve, because they would get you and scare you. What? No, Scape. <laughs> you are such a... No! The moral is clearly keep the Christmas spirit inside of you, don't be a jerk, be nice to people, and they will be nice to you, and your life will be richer and fuller. Uh, Dad! This is a story about ghosts and zombies! No, it's not! It's a story about learning what the true meaning of Christmas is. It's not a story about three ghosts and a zombie. It's about Scrooge, and he encounters three ghosts, and apparently, in your version, a zombie who doesn't eat brains and talks. Zombies can... No, Dad! Okay, those are free ghosts who haunt Christmas. One of them haunts the past, one of them haunts the future, and one of us haunts your presence. And those are scary ghosts. You have to be careful or they will get you. They will bury you alive. He didn't get, he didn't get buried alive. They, if anything, they like put him in the coffin and like it was a trick to scare him. Well, that makes it scary. So that's the scary moral. Escape, you are, you're right. You're absolutely right. I was just testing you. That's, the, that's the moral. God bless you, everyone, when you sneeze. And be careful of three ghosts and a zombie on Christmas Eve. They could bury you alive. Everybody keep that spirit alive in your heart this Christmas. You better, because otherwise, buried alive. Ha, ha, ha. We'll be back with another Scapey story. This one, next one, will be one that I actually read to him. But we'll be back maybe, uh, not next week, but maybe two weeks from now. Yes! At that point, we'll be back with a scary story that will make you cry and weep for your mom. <laughs> See you then. <laughs> Hi again, everybody. Um, okay, so I'm going to read this email real quick. We got a whole bunch of emails. I'm only going to read this one because it's about the serials that we're about to hear. Uh, Dear Jordan, it's from Charles, Charles Berman, who sends me the serials. Thanks for the clarification on the market machine. So I guess it won't be that different than the way things are now. So will it be illegal for people to pay more or less than the market machine recommends? I guess I, I would just have to find somebody that's willing to pay more. It is really weird about Frank. It's almost like he's running from something. Weird because it seems like the world would be safer with one fewer murderer out there. 
if he's been missing for more than a day, it does become a missing persons case. So the police or an investigator could be sent looking for him if his loved ones report it. What do they say? Do you think it would help if Rory did a reading of where Frank is in some alternate realities? That's impossible. Anyway, luckily I got the money together to get over to the studio and get you these radio serials. There's more Nathan, Slam, and Donnie, plus a show from Wally. There's a Christmas special in there, too. It has a couple of things that might not make sense until you get to later episodes, so you can decide whether you'd rather have a little discontinuity or play it out of season. Enjoy. Charles, um, I'll go backwards through these issues. Uh, first of all, regarding the Christmas special, I think I'll wait, um, because you say out of season... We want to keep the Christmas season alive with us at all times, as you know, even though I'm boycotting the holiday so that we can get higher taxes. But um, what we can do with that is uh, we can we can we can make a, a little special Christmas out of season. So tell me, let me know when it comes continuity wise, and then I'll I'll, I'll put it in there. Anyway, um, do I think it would help if Rory did a reading? Sure, why not? Maybe we'll give it a shot. Regarding Frank. Um, and where he's gone, I don't know. Uh, but regarding the missing persons thing, we did we did uh, talk to the police, and they were already looking for him. So I don't know if somebody else who cares about him had already reported that he was missing or what it was. But they told us they already were uh, were aware that he had uh, he had run, and that they were looking for him, and that they were hoping to, to track him down. So again, nobody's written in about Frank. But if you have any information about where Frank is, please write into us at castinwax at gmail dot com. That's castinwax at gmail.com. Um, back up to the market machine. Uh, market machine. Would it be illegal to pay more or less? Uh, I think it would definitely be illegal to charge to charge more because um, more than the machine, right? I mean, right, wouldn't it? I, I don't know. Maybe, you, no, yeah, it probably, well, I'm going to have to talk to my team. I'm going to have to get the team of, of uh, accountants and uh, programmers together. We're going to have to discuss this. I think it would be illegal to charge more. I would say you could probably charge less, um, but you would... As soon as you start charging less, you would be making less than cost. And as soon as you started pay, uh, getting more sales for that reason, the machine would readjust its amount down. And so it's possible that then it would level out and you'd end up making and charging the exact amount that the machine... You see what I'm saying? Because if you start selling more, the machine's going to go, oh, good, well, then we, can, then we can pay less. That's part of the deal. That's part of the way it works. Anyway, uh, let's keep going. Uh I'm going to, I'm sorry, I guess I'm not going to play the Christmas special, but I am going to play Slam Jackson Adventurous. I am going to play Donnie Palumbo's Clubhouse of Supervillainy. I am going to play Lessons from the Life of Nathan Van Etten. And I am going to play Politalk with Wally Russman, um, which I'm looking forward to hearing. So uh, here we go. Merry Christmas. Slam Jackson Adventurous! By Cheryl Casey. Episode 7 The Cross Time Kerfuffle. Ah, good morning! It's Teresh Day, and our story begins today with the famed Salam Jackson, private investigator and adventurist! Hey. 
hefting a week's worth of garbage towards the curb. But before the trash receptacle, safe in our hero's Herculean arms, can be dragged the few feet necessary for pickup, he's interrupted by... Wait! A haggard and infirm old man! The sheer panic in his eyes and cold sweat trapped along his ancient, wrinkled brow is enough to give even the most callous of villains pause. <sighs> oh, thank Pete, I found you in time. It's really you, isn't it? I mean, it's me! Yeah? Hang on, I'll be with you in just a minute. I just need to set this trash can down on the curb. What? No, I mean, there's not enough time! Not enough time the to- The situation's too dire, boy! The fate of the galaxy's resting on your supple yet masculine shoulders. Quick now! You need to follow me! Right. Of course. How? Don't you sass me! Oh, heavens. I remember this conversation. What did I say to make you believe me? Excuse me, what? Oh, right! Listen, son. I am you. I am... Slam Jackson! Adventurous! Only older, from the future. 76 years, 3 months, and 12 days to be exact. 76 years. Yep, that's right. You understand I'd be well over 100 by that time, right? Damn it, child! Don't you presume to know lickety-split about time travel? I know for a fact you'll understand absolutely jack-all about wormholes and quantum physics for at least another 15 years. Now you pay attention and listen to your elders while there's still time left. Your wife and children are depending on it. I'm not married. Not yet. And how will you be with that pompous better than everyone, I know everything because I'm Slam Jackson kind of attitude? Right. Is there a point to this? I'm getting there. Don't run. Trust me, how will you ever get to experience a fulfilling life with Lana, little Slambo Jr.? And what's your face, that brat that flips me off every morning when I go outside to get my newspaper? You need to pay attention! Look, sir, I can guarantee you are not me. From any future. Do you know why? Oh, you think you're so smart, don't you? You won't feel so smart when you watch sweet, sweet Lana being fed to genetically modified deer, will you? You have brown eyes. You realize that mine are blue, right? You! Oh my stars, you're right! Your eyes! A crystal blue ocean of strength and courage. Cold, powerful, and calculating. But at the heart of it, they seem so lost, so lonely. As pure and cruel and captivating as a child. What was I thinking? There isn't a truer pair of eyes in the universe. What would I do to have those eyes gaze upon me? Ah, uh, right. And then, overcome by the swell of emotion that, by now, is commonplace for those who walk within the basking glow of our hero, the old man grips him tightly into a hug. They embrace as men, just as the garbage truck drives past Slam Jackson's home! Aw, man. <laughs> yes! You think you're so smart, do you, Slam Jackson? I, Reginald J. Shockbit, have just outwitted you, world-class private investigator. Seriously? Time travel my foot. Gaze upon that garbage truck as it abandons you and your uncollected trash. That back bumper you're staring at is the back bumper of your impotence. You really took the time to devise a plan to distract me from taking out my trash? Exactly! And you fell for it, Sonny! Now you'll have the trash building up at your house for a whole other week! Oh, for crying out loud. I am unstoppable! <sighs> You're right. You got me.
I tip my hat to your nefarious scheme. That's right, my boy. Now you better be on guard because I may show up again next week. And what would you possibly do if you had more than two weeks worth of garbage at your house? I just don't know. That's right, you don't! Farewell, Jackson! We will meet again! I really need to remove my name and address from the phone book. Will Slam Jackson remove his name and address from the phone book? Will he see Reginald Swarkbit again? And what will he do with all that uncollected garbage? Dare to grip the edge of your seat, as all this and more are answered in the next episode of Slam Jackson! Adventurist! In that episode of Slam Jackson Adventurist, the narrator was Mickey Weishner, Slam Jackson was Jared Kunrat, and the old man was Jordan Randall. Donnie Palumbo's Clubhouse of Supervillain. Episode 3, Stars Born into Supernova. By Cheryl Casey. on Donnie Palumbo's Clubhouse of Supervillainy. With their clubhouse built, the newly minted supervillains, Avalon Frankie and Acid Reflux, are ready to take on the city's premier superheroine, Phantasma. But first, they admire their new wardrobe. Do you know how expensive it is to have a leather bodysuit custom made? Even before all the modifications, like all the extra pockets along the leg and that snazzy back logo that I just had to have, my banking account was effectively neutered. But man, was it ever worth it. You went with purple? It's the color of royalty. I chose the eggplant hue, of course, to evoke a better sense of my underlying masculinity. Right. Oh, like your costume is any better. You look like a man-sized red-hot candy. I'm not even going to dignify that comment with a response since you referred to it as a costume. Get over it. You look so like- So what are your superpowers, Avalon Frankie? Are you going to pawns Phantasma to death in your flamboyant <laughs> purple- oh, no, 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 no. I'm gonna threaten her with this. Sweet mother of f- Donnie. <clears throat> That's Avalon Frankie? Dude, are you serious? I mean, you're seriously gonna strap a bomb to yourself. You don't know anything about bombs. A what? Oh, oh, this? <laughs> this is an old analog clock that I found at a garage sale. Sounds pretty cool, huh? You should hear it when the alarm goes off. Just a clock? Yeah. Why would I strap a bomb to myself? That's just crazy. Yeah, that would be crazy. Alright, let's go find Lisa, and then spank her with our supervillain might. She'll never see it coming. And I was right in a sense. Lisa did not see it coming at all. Much in the same way that a 50-foot woman can't see the ants being smashed beneath the sandals of everyday humans. You know, we could always just turn around, install a DVD player in the clubhouse, and watch kung fu movies for the rest of the day. Shh, shh, shh. There she is. And she's still wearing the necklace. And spike heels. Donnie, do you know what spike heels could do to a person's face? It'll be fine. Watch. Here's our chance. There you are, Phantasma! Huh? It is I, Avalon Frankie! 
Avalon Frank. <laughs> you dare to laugh at me? I don't know, man. My danger sense is going off like an aneurysm in my head. Let's get out of here. I have the might of Camelot in my very bones. I bent over the Lady of the Lake and made sweet, sweet love to her with the sharp end of Excalibur. Dude? Right. Listen, kid. How old are you? I beg your pardon? No, seriously. I'm not gonna settle out of court again, because I beat the living snot out of some high schooler brat with something to prove. Do you have some ID? A villain's guild card? There's a villain's guild? That's awesome. Madam, rest assured I am closer to 30 than to 18. You, Red Devil guy. I'm Professor- His name is Acid Reflex. Seriously? Whatever. Look, you seem to be the more reasonable of the two. I'm trying to track down Titus Eroticus. You know, someone who could actually do some damage to the city. So could you convince the eggplant wizard over there to take a rain check? And if you're both really, really good boys, then maybe I'll play dress up with you two later. Sounds good. What? I refuse to accept the absurdity of this situation! Behold, Phantasma! This is the game we're going to play today, children? Oh? Do I have your attention now? I'll bite. What kind of health insurance do you have? What? State benefits. Why? Bummer. I remember being so confused right before I was swallowed by this abysmal blackness. Then, absolutely nothing. Rob tells me I lost five hours of my life in an instant. He was there, waiting for me in the hospital room, perfectly untouched and unscathed by Phantasma's wrath. The doctors tell me I was lucky. The Grand Inquisitor was still eating through a tube, so... For some reason, Lisa must have gone easy on me. Plus, with some tweaking, the neck brace turned into a pretty cool-looking helmet. Donnie! Donnie! Are you finally waking up? Oh, uh, I feel like I just got hit by a bus. That's great! That's exactly what I told Lisa! I told her you got hit by a bus. Lisa? Yeah, she's on her way to the hospital now. I was hit by a bus? That's the story I'm sticking to. How come you're not hurt, too? Easy. She finished with you and took one look at me and said, You don't want any of this. And I shook my head and said, I don't want any of this. Ta-da. Do me a favor, Rob, and punch yourself for me. Gosh, you're cute when you're coming off of morphine. Donnie, oh my god, are you okay? I valiantly fought a truck and was soundly ruined. A truck? Bus. A truck-like bus. Oh, sweetie, does it hurt? I have this button, and when I push it... I don't care how much it hurts anymore. I can't believe it. I mean, I'm supposed to be able to protect you. I saved you from Slambo Night Nosher, and that was not easy, but now this happens? I am glad you saved me from Slambo Night Nosher. I just... I should have been there. I should have done something. (laughs) What's your problem, Rob? Well, I mean, it's just that... I guess... You're human, Lisa. You can't save everyone all the time. But I have to try. Otherwise, stuff like this will keep happening. Yeah, but that's why you completely wrecked Titus Eroticus' good day. It's been playing all over the news since you did it. Titus? That's what's playing on the news? What about Avalon- Hey, Donnie. That is your morphine button, right? Yeah, why? Oh... Things happen, Lisa. You can't always prevent that. The good news, though, is that he'll be fine. Yeah. It wasn't so bad. I was out of the hospital in three days with a near-clean bill of health. The doctor said no heavy lifting, and I had to stretch regularly so I wouldn't lose mobility, but that was about it. I had to rush back to my beloved clubhouse. I had to see what had happened, if anything had changed in my absence. Relax, man. No one's been here since you were hospitalized. But it looks different. It smells different. It rained this morning. 
No, no. The knickknacks have been moved from the shelf. You're losing your mind. Someone's at our door. We have a door. Well, it's more like a sheet of plastic, but yeah, in a matter of speaking. Well, go answer it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Donnie? Emergency. Like, flailing robot flashing red lights type of emergency? What are you talking about? That's Titus Eroticus. Yup. I never actually woke up from that hospital bed, did I? No, this is real. Touch him and find out if you're really curious. Dishonored thus, and challenged of wrongs. I've heard of your deeds, noble sirs. Sweet brothers, I come seeking sanctuary in the haven of your clubhouse, most beloved. What? I'm in a bit of a rough spot. Can I crash here for a little while? In that episode of Donnie Palumbo's Clubhouse of Supervillainy, Donnie Palumbo was Ed Jones, Ron Moffat was Jordan Randall, Lisa was Julia Kelly, and Titus Eroticus was Charles Burnham. Hello and welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. This is Rory Sinjin. On December 25th, 1996, six-year-old John Bonet Ramsey is killed in her Boulder, Colorado home. John and Patsy Ramsey, her parents, called the police at 5.52 the following morning to report that their daughter was missing. John Bonet's body was found under a white blanket in the basement that afternoon. All right, Chuck. We gotta go check out this murder thing. Are you sure, Sarge? It's awfully snowy out. Look, Chuck, some girl is dead, so we gotta go do it. It's a blizzard, Sarge! Get in a the blizzard! Car, Chuck! I'm not doing it, Sarge. You'll have to force me in at gunpoint. All right, Stuart, come with me. Okay. Oh, wow. I guess I shouldn't be so melodramatic. <laughs> it is pretty snowy out here. That it is, Sarge. That it is. Oh, my God. Watch out for that car. Oh, God. Meanwhile, at the Ramsey's estate. Oh, my God. My daughter's missing. Oh, God. Those people are loud upstairs. Oh, crud. Oh, my God. Where's my daughter? I can't believe I fell asleep at the scene of the crime again. <laughs> Better get out of here. Oh, no. It's my daughter. Hey, who's that? Definitely not a killer, just part of the staff. Gotta go get the paper. What's that you're carrying over your shoulder? It's your newspaper. I'll I'll talk to you later. It's awfully child-shaped for a newspaper? Special edition. Stop asking me questions. (laughs) Okay? I'll respect your privacy. Well, dang it, Stuart. I guess we're stuck here for the night. It's true. We'll probably have to arrive the following morning. By that time, the killer will be long gone. And it's so obvious they wouldn't have caught him anyway. They shouldn't have risked their lives by driving in a blizzard. Merry Christmas. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. What, what, what? It's Christmas? My name's Roy Sinjin, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. And I know the part you're more interested in is that Christmas part I just mentioned. Yes, December 25th is also Christmas, in addition to being, more famously, the day John Bonet Ramsey was killed. Let me tell you very briefly a story about another thing that happened on Christmas. Yes, in fact, Santa Claus was going out one day and realized, my goodness, it's snowing awfully hard. It wasn't the day with the, the fog when he needed Rudolph. No, it was in fact a different day where he said, well, Rudolph probably won't help me in this case because his bright nose, you know, won't really do much when so much snow is coming down. It doesn't really matter, you know, Snow is one thing, fog is another thing entirely. So Santa said, well, we'll just have to risk it, you know, let's go out. And he went out in this terrible blizzard. And of course, what happened was, you know, naturally, I'm sure you can guess, his sleigh crashed and he died and no presents were ever delivered again. That's why you should really be very careful when you're driving in a blizzard, be it a sleigh that flies attached to flying reindeer, or be it a car, because the roads can get very slippery, visibility goes down, things like that. Those cops didn't learn their lesson. Santa didn't learn his lesson. Make sure you do. Don't ruin another Christmas uh, driving in a blizzard. This was a very dangerous thing, and my name is 
was Roy Sinjin with Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. Lessons from the Life of Nathan Van Etten by C.H. Berman. Lesson 2. Music mocks Nathan Van Etten. There are few things as harmonious and melodic as music. Nothing else could lift the hearts and voices of mankind in song quite the way music can. There are some who say that there is no human soul that is not capable of being lifted to the Elysian heights that music engenders, that within all of our hearts lies deeply embedded the heavenly gift of song. One person who has long hoped that this was true is Nathan Van Etten. Um, hey voice. It is outside that we find Nathan today, walking along, taking in the brisk, early evening air, and failing to note the picturesque tableau created by the dusting of auburn leaves as they dangle precariously from the roofs of the quaint but majestic Georgian homes of his hometown. Desolate but proud reliquaries of an age long gone, but all journeys must end if they are not to continue indefinitely, Nathan soon enough reaches the door for which he is set out, the door of his slight acquaintance, Knut Peterson. Friend! I wouldn't go that far, Nathan. Listen, did I not say to him less than a week ago, my friend, that was an excellent show, and did he not respond, thanks? What more evidence do you need? The human capacity for self-delusion- Can I go in now? Yes, Nathan. I'm done. Thank you, my disembodied companion. Oh, hi, um... Evening, Knut. Bet you're glad to see your old pal Nathan Van Etten, huh? Always there for you, right? Um, right. Sure was nice of you to invite yourself over, Nathan. Any time for a fellow Louis patron. Ha-ha-ha-ha. <laughs> Anyway, let's kick back and relax. I brought beer. Oh, uh, beer. That was great of you. Oh, I never fail to do my research and figure out what's appropriate. They sell these things down at the store, down the street. Oh, duels, of course. So I guess you can take a seat if you like. Thanks a lot, my gracious host. So, you're in a band, huh? Yes, I am. I was pretty sure we established that when you came up to me at Louis after my band played. Of course! I remember that impeccably. I said, my friend, that was an excellent show. And then you said, thanks. I'm pretty sure that's when we started hanging out. Hanging out? Yeah! At Louis. Nathan, I'm at Louis to play music. Knut Meg plays there Thursdays for money. You sit at that table playing cards and yelling over the music about manga. Mana! Manga is totally different and very worthy, but not suitable for a card-playing environment. Well, whatever you were shouting magic about- Magic the Gathering. And it's okay, I guess, that you haven't been making it to the magic table. We all understand that you've got band stuff to do. You realize I don't even play that game, right? Oh! Gotcha! Pokemon Man! I understand, but we made you an honorary member. Okay, look, I don't know what Pokemon are. I don't know what even makes you think I want you hanging out here. What makes me think it? 
What makes me think it? Surely you can't have forgotten that last Thursday I caught up with you after magic, and that when I said I should come over to hang out sometimes, you said, maybe. If that's not an airtight verbal agreement, I don't know what is. Okay, so you're here now. Having fun? Believe you me, mister. This is not my super board because I'm sitting around in the house of a guy who doesn't even seem to have a single game, not even so much as Flux, which is pretty weird if you ask me. Face. Okay, great. Well, thanks for coming by. Maybe I'll catch you at- Oh, my pleasure. So, what's it like being able to play the guitar? It's great. Really helps with the whole being in a band thing. Yeah, I bet it would. Did I ever tell you, I always wished I knew how to play the guitar. No, I've hardly even talked to- Yeah, I mean, it can't be any harder than dungeon mastering if you really know what you're doing. Which I do. I'm a master. I mean, not just a dungeon master. I'm a dungeon master master. Plus, sometimes I play a bard, which would make the guitar even more appropriate. The only problem is I don't know how to play one yet. I mean, I can't think of any situations in my life that would not be improved by a guitar. The library. What? Going to the library. How would a guitar improve going to the library? Are you kidding? As if the library had anything worth reading. Jeez. I get the new issue of every comic from Dwarf Star Books, and sometimes I get books, too. Take that, library. At the dentist. Oh, God. Once somebody taught me how to play it, why would I take a break from playing my new guitar to go to the dentist? That guy threatened me with a drill if I didn't stop drinking Mountain Dew Blue Shock, and I'm never coming back. Okay, poker game. Great. Odin, I'd need to know how to play the guitar to relieve my boredom. Every time I play that game, everybody's playing the same super boring character. And when I try to play a different one, they all get mad. It's ridiculous. And even those collectible plastic pongs only come in three colors. But anyway, back to how I wish somebody would teach me to play the guitar. Okay, Nathan, let's deal with the elephant in the middle of the room here. You're being figurative there. Nice colloquialism. Thanks. I'm really getting the feeling like you want me to teach you how to play the guitar. Wow! Well, it hadn't even occurred to me. But since you offered, that does sound really convenient. Do you have a guitar? Yes, I'm a guitarist. Remember? You're funny. I mean, for me to learn on. I can colloquial too, you know. Nathan, if I were to start teaching you how to play the guitar, that would be a guitar lesson. Yeah? I don't give guitar lessons. Even if I did give guitar lessons, I would have to charge for them. Even for a friend? Yes, even if you were my friend. I have to be honest, Nut. That cuts to the quick. I really need these lessons. This is about a girl, isn't it? The girl! The epitome of ideal femininity! The Venus of the Tasty Freeze! A maiden as immaculate as untouched snow whose heart I must now win back! Or I guess just win! The future Ivana Van Dorn Van Etten. <laughs> <laughs> what? Nothing, nothing. No, tell me! What exactly is so funny about Van Dorn Van Etten? I'll defend my someday-to-be-lady, hopefully, if it all goes all right with fisticuffs, if necessary. <laughs> no, 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 it's it's just Ivana Van Dorn is not exactly as untouched as snow or whatever. Well, you mangled my simile, but hey, that sounds like a sexual insinuation. How do you know that? Well, she used to be kind of a groupie. Kind of weird at first. I mean, she tried to follow us home, sneak into our cars, that kind of thing. But you know how it is with groupies. Eventually, we didn't mind. (laughs) 
Uh, actually, maybe you two would get along. Oh, God! Does that mean you two- Oh, God! Well, I guess that means the guitar works. You have to teach me now! With my well-honed skills at live-action roleplay and the actual ability to play a guitar, I'll be indistinguishable from a real guitarist! Ah, uh, I guess. If you'll pay by the hour. But I don't really think she liked guitar that much. It was really cashews she was mainly into. The drummer. Really? Yeah, I mean, he told me she was wild and I could hardly get Jeez, her to- Jeez, I don't want to know the details! Sorry. Well, I'm gonna get going. Uh, alright. See you. Yeah, maybe. I can't believe it. I just wasted an entire game night and I'm still not a master guitarist. And I don't even want to be anymore. What a waste of time. Time is a finite resource, and it is only after something has happened that we know how long it took. I wonder where that drummer lives. You're going to bother the drummer, too? He said she likes drummers better! Haven't you learned anything from all this? Well, yes. I guess I have. You should never try to make friends, because they won't really be your friends. And never try to learn a musical instrument. Convincing somebody to teach you is more trouble than it's worth. And then, actually learning it probably takes hours! <sighs> okay, Nathan. Without the desire to learn, how could we ever find anything out? For without something to learn from, knowledge has no source. We leave Nathan tonight, contemplatively plotting the six blocks that separate him from the comfort of his apartment. A few hours older, and hopefully a little wiser. But my friends, that remains to be seen until next week, when perhaps you'll join us for another lesson from the life of Nathan Van Etten. In that episode of Lessons from the Life of Nathan Van Etten, the narrator was Jared Coonrad, Nathan Van Etten was Mickey Weishner, and Newt was Ben Kleinman. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Extraordinary Transmission Network. It's me, Wally Russman, here on the Extraordinary Transmission Network with Politalk with Wally Russman. I'm Wally Russman. Tuesdays and Thursdays with Wally Russman is Politalk. This is Politalk. Today, ladies and gentlemen, a suggestion that has been made that has detrimental consequences for you, for me, for everybody in the rest of the world. And I'll explain them to you right now on Politalk with Wally Russman. There has been a suggestion made, ladies and gentlemen that people should be paid according to a machine for how much work they do. To explain this a little better, if you work more, the machine will determine how much your work is worth and pay you according to that amount of time. And ladies and gentlemen, that will end up paying the riffraff. That will end up paying the people who are worth less to society as if they were worth more. Because if you look up and down this world, the people that work more are the people that do less. The people that work less are the people that produce the most. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Do you appreciate this program? Do you appreciate the revolution I am bringing to the United States? Do you appreciate the knowledge that I am imparting? Do you realize that Politalk with Wally Russman is the one shining beacon of influence in the world that is telling you the truth, unfettered, unfiltered, and absolutely unequivocally right every time? If you do, and if you don't, I don't know why you are still listening. But if you do, then you have to consider this. I work two hours a week, and yet I am the most important man in this country. 
I deserve to be paid more than any man in this country. Look outside. Look at the people cleaning your lawn. Look at the poor people that you see. Usually they're the people working three, four, five jobs. And how much do they contribute to society? Nothing, because they're poor. And yet, they do more work than anyone else. Would you like these poor, worthless people to be paid more than people like myself? People who work very little but yet are more valuable to all of us? I thought not. And that's why this is such a threat. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jordan D. White has to be stopped from producing a market machine that would stop people like me, people who don't work much, but whose work is absolutely essential to this country because of how little of it there is, because the truth, absolute and inviolable, is compacted so closely into my programs from doing what you need unequivocally. Ladies and gentlemen, stop the market machine. If it continues, poor people are going to get money. And people like me are going to get shafted. And if you appreciate what Wally Russman does for this country, that's not something you'll put up with. Let's go to the phones. Is there anyone who'd like to contribute to this discussion? You're on the air. Hello. 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 Hello, Wally Russman. You've got it. This is Politalk with Wally Russman. Tuesdays and Thursdays with Wally Russman. You're on the air with Wally Russman. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that I'm on the air with Wally Russman. This is Dr. Sven Olofsson. And let me tell you, I am a world-leading expert on Jordan D. White. What do you know about this infiltrator of truth, this poor excuse for a human being? Well, first thing I did was I wrote down his name. And then I looked at it, and I saw that in the middle of his name is a D. You know what a D looks like, Wally? I, I, again, I don't want to admit to reading too much. I have seen the letter. Yes. Have you ever noticed that it looks sort of like a crescent moon? Exactly like a crescent moon with a line. Yes. The international symbol of Muslims everywhere. There's a billion of them perniciously crawling over our world. So what you're saying is Jordan D. White, a man who, by the way, I would like to point out, has a full-time job. I have looked into this. Jordan D. White has a full-time job. So he stands to benefit from this far more than a large percentage of the population. He has a Muslim sign smack dab in the middle of his name. I would go further than that, Wally. I would say that this is indisputable proof, and I know because anyone who disputes it gets punched, that Jordan D. White is secretly a Muslim. But it gets worse. Much worse. Worser. Let's hear it. We all know, Wally, that the Muslims are creeping over our Earth, impacting our white values and such. But who are the masters of the Muslims who stand to gain the most from their insidious conquest? The Jews. Muslims and Jews, both people of the book. It is true. As and reading, we know, reading, it causes AIDS. Ladies and gentlemen, need I say more? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you, Dr. Olofsson, for calling into the program while I talk with Wally Russman. Let's see who's next on the lines. Hello. You're on the air. Hello. Oh, yeah. Hey, bro. What's up? Uh, is this Wally Russman? This is Wally Russman. Politalk with Wally Russman. Tuesdays and Thursdays, Wally Russman. What do you got? Yeah, I, I got a question for you really quick. Go uh, ahead. I'm going to college right now, and uh, I'm studying to be uh, an engineer, and I'm wondering, like, if I should keep doing it, because not you're, what you're saying... No. It's... Well... No. No? No. Quit college. Quit college, but I'm like, I'm a year away from, from... Okay, you're studying to be what? An engineer? An engineer, yeah. What does that involve? That involves getting a what? A degree. So you can do what? Engineering. You can just sit down and engineer if you want to. Why do you need the degree? Tell me that. Oh, bro, that makes so much sense. Uh, but, but, my, but my parents say it's good, and like, I, I mean, I just spent like $30,000 already on this. I, like... I, but I, I don't want to be a Mexican, you know? 
Like, I want to I wanna not do stuff and make money, but what do I not do to make money, you know? Engineering. Like, Listen to this. Listen to this. I have seen colleges. I have seen colleges across the country. And if you look at colleges across the country, when they have engineering programs, they have one point. Talk to anybody in an engineering program in a college across the country. They will tell you it is to get people jobs in engineering. Did you catch what I said? It is to get people jobs in engineering. This is a program directly designed to brainwash you into getting a full-time job with the firm to do work, to waste your potential, to make you worthless. But, like, oh, man, my teachers wouldn't do that. I didn't think they were that bad, but what? They are. I am telling you right now, they are. If they want you, if they want to prepare you for a job and what they consider a successful future, where you're doing work for hours on hours every week, that is not the kind of people you want to consort with. Oh, you want to sucks. talk to people who get you paid for doing nothing. Crapola, man. Well, what do I do? I, okay, I'm, okay, let's say I quit college. What do I do then? Nothing. You do as little as possible, oh. but you spread the Russman revolution. I like revolutions. They have flags and stuff. All right, I'll do it. Thanks, bro. Thank you, sir. Awesome. All right, let's see who else is on the lines. You're on the air. Hello. Hi. Hi. Am I caller number eight? Hold on, hold on. I don't like to do much, too much counting on this program, but I can tell you right now, if I check with the engineer, you are caller number, number three. You are caller number three. But, oh, so I didn't win those tickets? Tickets? No, you didn't win tickets. What are you? Wait, this is Politalk with Wally Resman. Oh, this isn't um, this isn't WHKG. I thought it was five 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 one two two five. No, this is not WHKG. But so, I'll tell you right now, I approve of you calling for those tickets. I think that is something good you have done for America. And ma'am, I want to congratulate you. Because right now, the way to get tickets is not to work a 40-hour job so you can make money to buy tickets. If you're going to get tickets, the way to get them is for free. Do not go off and work and slave for somebody else just so you can have the right to see a concert of music that you want to hear. Get those tickets for free. Call a radio station. Steal them if you have to. You shouldn't be made to work. And that's just what this market machine is doing, ma'am. So I didn't get the tickets. Not yet. Keep calling that other station. Okay. Get on the phone. Bye. Do your part for America. Thank you. All right, Politalk with Wally Russman. Who else do we have on the lines? Uh, hi, Wally. Uh, Long-time listener, first-time caller. Excellent, excellent. I like it when somebody knows when to keep their mouth shut, but when to call when they have something to say. What have you got for us? You are so smart. Um, I, I just wanted to call in and tell you how much I totally agree with everything that you're saying. Well, so do I. Well, good, because... Um, <laughs> It just makes such perfect sense. And anyone who has any common sense at all can see that this is just a simple matter of economics. Like, you're not changing the system at all. It's still supply and demand. If I'm producing something or providing a service that I'm not providing, then the demand for that goes up. And obviously, therefore, I should be paid more money for the thing that I'm not doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's say I am cleaning out a bathroom one hour a week. There is more demand for that because I'm only doing it one hour a week than if I was doing it 50 hours a week. Get out of my head, Wally. I don't think I want to be out of your head. Well, thank you, Wally, so much for everything that you do and for helping me see the light. And this isn't the first time, but I, I really, really appreciate it. And, and everybody out there, listen to Wally. He knows what he's talking about. I absolutely do. I agree with you 100%. Uh, you're welcome for helping you see the light. And thank you for calling Talk with Wally Russman. This is Talk with Wally Russman, Tuesdays and Thursdays with Wally Russman on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Who else do we have on the line? <laughs> 
Wally. Yes, sir. Wally Rusman. That's right. I I, I have to tell you, I'm I'm kind of in favor of the market machine (laughs) because I'm always sick and I got like a billion allergies and my immune system is in the toilet and everything for me takes effort. Just waking up out of bed in the morning takes so much effort and I would love to be paid for that. (laughs) All right, sir. First of all, you are sick. Second of all, why are you calling my program only to disagree with me? That is what I want to know. I am telling you the truth Right out. I am laying it on the line for you, and you have just called it up and insulted me. You've insulted every other listener, and you've coughed in our faces. I don't know if germs can go over the phone, but it's entirely possible, and I don't appreciate the disrespect. Second of all, if you think you should be paid for getting up out of bed, and you're not being paid for getting up out of bed, I'll tell you what to do. Stay in bed. (coughs) But the thing is... I'm not trying to offend you or anything. And by the way, I, I my off time, I'm a telephone sanitizer, so you don't have to worry about the germs coming through the phone. I First of all, I am glad you do that in your off time. I would not appreciate you expecting to be paid for sanitizing telephones. No, no, that's ridiculous. It's not enough effort. But that's what I'm saying is that whatever I'm really good at and whatever takes a lot of effort, if that's getting me money and I'm doing it anyway, you know. Listen, if you are always sick, or almost always sick, you should be paid for health. You should be paid for being well and getting up out of bed. And... That I never get paid. Well, no, you get paid more because you're doing it less. Your work is more valuable. Right now, I'm healthy all the time. There's total supply of that. I've got health out the wazoo. But you, your health is rare, it is valuable, and it deserves to be paid for in a very... It deserves... Well, your health not is not that common. No, I see what you're saying, Mr. Rustman, and I, and I could be I could stand to be paid this, this like equal amounts for being healthy as rarely as it comes. But my only concern is where's that money gonna come from? There are several places we can take this money from. First of all, we take it from the poor people. These are people who are working jobs constantly. They're working five, six, seven, eight jobs just to amass as much money as possible and doing nothing worthwhile with it. Turn on the television. Turn on the radio. Talk to college professors. How many of them are dirt poor? None of them. I'll tell you why. Because dirt poor people don't produce anything. They just work lots of jobs and gather up the money. Take the money from them. Take the money from Jews, take the money from Arabs, take the money from Russians, take the money from Finns, take the money from Chinese, take the money from South Americans, take the money from socialists. No. Find some more people to take money from, and soon enough you've got a lot of money. This, this sounds appealing, so you're thinking that maybe I should find some of these people and cough on them until they catch what I have, and in their weakened states I should take their money? If that's the way you got to do it, that's the way you got to do it. I appreciate your advice, Mr. Rusman. <laughs> Mr. Rusman, have a good day. Thank you for your call. I know I'm glad I was able to turn your mind around because I'm able to turn everyone's mind around because I'm right. Who else do we have on the lines? You're on the air. Talk with Wally Rusman. I'm Wally Rusman, and this is Talk. Hello. 
Hello, Wally. Yes? This is Steve. Steve Tipman. how are you today, sir? I'm excellent. I'm telling the truth on the radio, Steve. What do you got for us? That you are telling the truth. I just want to tell you a little about this uh, machine system. My Go by God, I love it. Let me just tell you a little about my job. Well, first off, my alarm goes off in the morning when I go to work. And now my alarm is actually two French maids lightly massaging my feet with a cup of coffee ready for me. Then I get up out of my bed. I walk down my hall to my front door, which is about three miles, because that's how big my mansion is. I hop into my backseat of my jet plane, which takes me on a one-hour trip into New York, which leads me into my nice, really big Chrysler building job. Can you guess what I'm doing yet? What? I'm gonna tell ya, okay? We're gonna go up to the 38th floor, okay? I have about 10 secretaries, all of them have mocha lattes waiting for me, okay? And then I'm gonna drink every one of them. See which one I like the most. Bring it into my office, and I sit down in my chair, and lo and behold, I don't even have a computer, Wally. Do you know what's on my desk? What? A red button. Do you know what I do every day in my job? What? I press it. You, sir, are the salt of the earth. You are the cream of the crop. You are what makes America, America, and you are America. And you are the kind of people that I am trying to reach. Well, thank you very much, Wally. I, I, I can't do this without people like this that made this machine that that make that makes this this kind of the, you, the payment. It's just, oh, it's, it's just wonderful. It, you know what the best part is about what? that button, though? What? I don't even know what it does. Somebody wants to pay me $130 million a year to press this button. It lights up maybe once every hour. Sometimes I don't even press it. It's kind of fun. And good, honest people like you, like you and me, people who do valuable work pressing a button or going on the radio and revolutionizing this country with the veil of truth, are the kind of people who would be screwed over by this market machine, a machine made by a man with a full-time job. A machine that would take money out of our mouths and put it into the mouths of poor people who work a lot. We don't want that, Wally. Not in the least. Thank you, sir. You are the kind of good, honest man that people need to hear, that people need to know. To know that I'm not the only good, honest man in the world. Oh, you, you, that's great, Wally. You keep doing what you do, and I'm gonna go back. Actually, I'm actually sitting in my office right now. It's that button. It's flashing like crazy, but you know what? I ain't gonna press it yet. Screw it. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Have a nice day, Wally. All right, this is Pilot Talk with Wally Westman. I'm Raleigh Russman. That was Steve, one of the great men of this country, one of the lights, one of the luminaries, one of the LEDs. All right, this is Pilot Talk with Wally Russman. I'm Wally Russman. I'm still Wally Russman. I'm Wally Russman, informing you of the truth, the fact, and the indisputable of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, do we have anybody else on the lines? All right, this is, the, this is the part of the program that I like to refer to as absolute agreement. There is no one speaking, which means all that I say is undisputed, as it always should be. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Politalk with Wally Russman. Me, I'm Wally Russman. Tuesdays and Thursdays with Wally Russman, you can hear Politalk with me, Wally Russman. Thank you for tuning in. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, market machine evil stealing the money from the mouths of the rich and powerful like myself. People who do good, hard, honest work one or two hours a week to provide you with what you need to make sure that button is pressed, to make sure that radio show is done. And that machine will give all the money to dirty, filthy, 
unproductive poor people who sit around and do nothing but take jobs with lots of hours and spend their lives doing useless services when they could be relaxing and being powerful like us. These are not the kind of people we want in our country. These are not the kind of people we want with our money. Thank you for tuning in. Remember, keep your eyes open, keep your ears open, keep your mind closed. Uh, that episode of Paul Talk with Wally Russman featured the voice talents of Charles Berman, Daniel Schwartz, Mickey Weissner, Cheryl Casey, Angela Timon, Bailiff Quimby, and Jordan Randall. And I just got to say, uh, you know, the fact that Wally has come out against my market machine is probably a better endorsement for it than I, I could have hoped for. Because, I, I mean, again, it's kind of like the Jack Chick stuff, like why I didn't mind putting Jack Chick's ideas out there, because I thought they were just so clearly wrong. That I thought, you know, getting those ideas out there was the best way to just immediately make people not believe in them. They would hear them and go, oh, okay, I see. This is not true. So I think the same is true with Wally Russman. I, the fact that he wants poor people to have less money and uh, rich people to have more money means that I think he's wrong. And I think everybody knows it. So I probably don't have to bother even really disproving him. But it was great. It's great, it's great hearing Wally talk about something that uh, is so important to me. Because, again, he's... If he had, if he had agreed with the market machine, I would have been a little more worried. I would have been like, "Wait, is there a flaw in this system? Like, what, what am I doing wrong?" But the fact that he's against it is very reassuring and very uh, beneficial to the machine. I think in the in the whole. So um, look forward to that. Uh, hopefully in the new year. Hopefully we're going to get started. I mean, we're, we're still working on the kinks, as you can tell from me not knowing whether you can charge more earlier in the show. But we're I've got a crew. You know, the Congress has got me working with a crew. I mean, it's very difficult because. I, you know, I do have a full-time job, as Wally points out, working for Marvel Comics. And then when I get home, I have this congressional, uh, by, by, by which I mean, of course, World Congress, the World Congressional uh, uh, Committee to run, not that I'm a congressman, but because they put me in charge of it because it was my idea. So I, it's very difficult. I get home at like sometimes six or seven at night, actually more, you know, seven or eight at night, more, more likely. And I, then I have to get onto the the phone and talk to the crew and they report back to me the work of the day and then I have to criticize it and I have to talk to them about what's wrong with it and then get it fixed or tell them they did a good job if they did but it's more likely I have to get it fixed the point is um, the market machine is coming it might not be ready for the first it might not be ready for the first so it might not be ready next time we have the podcast um, it's going to be a, it's going to be good though. it's going to be good um, speaking of Jack Chick though I did want to play a, an old classic tractor fiction next uh it's another version of a christmas carol but it's the jack chick version now I, I will say this is from the first season of tractor fiction it's nice to hear frank's voice again but um it was recorded live so there, there's a lot of uh tittering and um you know studio noise it's still it's still i think it's still worth it in the end because it, it has a very funny ending um and, and it's funny as it goes but there you'll notice a little bit of noise hopefully you'll enjoy it don't let Jack Chick convert you by accident. I don't want. I don't want to be responsible for that. I might again. I think he's wrong about everything. So, there you are. Um, enjoy that. And you know what? I'm just gonna. I'm gonna end the show here. You can write into us at castandwax at gmail.com. Up next is Tractor Fiction, and then a little uh, Ave Maria from me. And uh, hopefully, you can all uh, enjoy both of those. We will not be back next week. Um, it's probably going to be at least two weeks because I'm going to be away. 
hopefully my voice will be back by then. Hopefully, uh, hopefully Frank will be back by then. Who knows? Anyway, um, enjoy. Talk to you soon. Be seeing you. You're about to hear Tract or Fiction. Tract or Fiction, uh, this one is called Humbug. The uh, the idea here is that we read a tract, so to speak, of work of Jack Chick, and then we um, discuss it afterwards. We haven't actually talked to the people we're going to discuss about it, but I believe that we, we've got a special treat for everyone tonight. We've shipped in a complete uh, cast of Shakespearean-trained actors from England who all have impeccable British accents because they're from Britain, of course. Uh, and I believe that uh, in addition to that, we've also got two amazing, amazingly smart British people to do the debate. So it's it's quite good. So now we've got the British actors in the studio. Hello, British actors. Hello. Hello. I didn't hear an H in the bunch. It was perfectly British. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, so we're going to begin this wonderful tract called Humbug, or as the British would say, I guess, Umbug, I don't know. We began a long time ago in a country far, far away. Thank God I'm not from there. England. Ebenezer Scrooge, an important financier, works in his accounting house with his assistant, Bob Cratchit. Um, Mr. Scrooge, may I please go home? It's so very late, and my family is waiting for me. Why? Um, to celebrate the birth of Christ, sir. You know, manger? I don't know what you're talking about, Crutchet. My world is finance, not fairy tales. It's hardly a fairy tale, Mr. Scrooge. It's humbug. Don't contradict me, Cratchit. <clears throat> Your eternal destiny hangs on that story, sir. And how, pray tell, could my eternal destiny possibly hang in the story of a baby? I think you're daft, Crutchet. Um, Mr. Scrooge, that child was the creator of the universe in the form of flesh. You realize what you're saying, Cratchit? Why in heaven's God bother with insignificant man? Man is rotten to the core. Man is a blight upon the bloody earth. What coincidence, Mr. Scrooge? The word of God says the same thing. Oh, it does, does it? Yes, the Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. <laughs> For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isn't that rather severe, Mr. Cratchit? I don't like those verses. A Cratchit! Will God judge me for my sins? Thank you. Oh, yes, Mr. Scrooge. We see your entire life in review. Good night, Cratchit. Um, read this, sir. I'm sure it will show you how to avoid God's wrath. I said good night, Cratchit. Um, good night, sir. Stuffing the little pamphlet into his pocket, Scrooge hurries along on his way, <clears throat> while Cratchit heads to the butcher's. Hmm. Is my beautiful goose ready? Hmm. Such as it is, Bob. Too bad you couldn't afford this beauty over here. Cratchit, I don't see how you can feed your family on that meager salary. Scrooge is a miser and a crew brute. Oh, God always takes care of us. Out on the streets, Cratchit's two children look longingly into the window of the toy store, their grubby little faces and hands pressed right against the glass. Oh, such beautiful toys. I just love that doll. Are my little ones window shopping? We know we're poor, Father, but it doesn't hurt to look, does it? Not at all, Tiny Tim. Oh, Father, this so beautiful. We may not have a lot of toys, Father, but at least we have each other. That's right, Tim. Soon, the very British trio arrives at their small British home. Isn't it a lovely goose, my dear? Yes, Bob. It's so big, I'll have to cook the goose in the stuffing. <laughs> oh, Mother, you're so funny. <laughs> oh, how I thank God for each of you, and I love you all. We love you too, Father. 
How about a cheer for my wonderful employer, Mr. Scrooge? I'm sorry, Bob. I despise that mean old man. I can't help it. Mama, shouldn't we pray for Mr. Scrooge? Meanwhile, blocks away. Oh, dear. Here comes Mr. Scrooge. I pray that he's in a good mood. <clears throat> Why did Cratchit quote those verses at me? I hate him for it. My old mentor and musical idol, Bob Marley, he's been dead for 25 years. But I wish he could come back and prove Cratchit wrong. Bloody hell! It's Mr. Scrooge, excuse me. Ah, uh, what? Mr. Scrooge, I've, I've, what? I've been quite ill. Could you please extend my loan for ten more days? No! Mrs. Uh, Cooper, not one for a more minute. You can expect foreclosure, madam. God will get you for that. When Scrooge <laughs> arrives back home, he is quite rattled. Oh, it's good to be home. What's going on? My door knocker is changing. Indeed. Even as Scrooge looked on, a lion's head morphed like some cheesy early 90s CGI special effect into the head of the devil himself. I hear reggae. Good heavens, I'm losing my mind. I'm going right to bed. I'll feel safe under the covers. Have a good night, Steve. I'll forget all this humbug. At that exact moment, across town, in the Cratchit's small but very British home, Tiny Tim kneels by his bedside, his hands clasped together. Dear Lord, please save Mr. Scrooge. And the Queen. And soon, back in Scrooge's very British bedchamber, an old man wearing heavy iron chains and locks clatters his way into the room. Hey, Scrooge! Scrooge, Mom! Wake up! It's me, Marley! Marley? Where did you come from and how did you turn white all of a sudden? I died in my sins, Mom! Now I'm waiting for doomsday when God will condemn me forever! Marley? Marley, what What about me? What about my Rastafarian beliefs? You're gonna be worse off than I am, Scrooge. I'll see you soon. As Marley disappeared into a British puff of puffiness and and the blast of reggae music, Scrooge thought back on his own deeds. I begged you for your help, and you laughed! You ruined me, Scrooge! You have no mercy! My child starves because of you! I hope you're happy with the life you've chosen. God will get you for that. Cratchit! Cratchit put something in my pocket he said would save me from God's wrath. Where is it? Where is it? Oh! Oh, God, there it is! I found it! It say, if I receive Jesus as my personal savior, I will miss God's wrath and finally understand the truth behind the legend album. You died for me on the cross. Oh, dear Jesus! I do receive you, I do. I abandon my pot-smoking ways. Please save me. I believe you died for me on the cross. Please forgive me and own me wickedness. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, man. Lord, you have set me free now. I feel clean and wonderful. What shall I do now, man? As the sun rose over the dirty London houses, a sunbeam pierced its way through Scrooge's overly British windows. And even though it's totally stupid, Scrooge somehow felt the sunbeam was God's way of saying... Make restitution, drop that doobie, and get rid of the Jamaican accent! I will, man! I'll make up for all the wicked things I've done, Lord! I'll drive on the left side, and I'll chuck the chicken and fry it at the same time, man! Pausing only to bathe and dress himself. Thank no. God for everyone he's going to see that day. Scrooge flew with all haste to the butchers. Eh, man! Quick! Give me that big goose with all the goodies on the list! What a wonderful day! Here that Jah given us. Ah, is that you, Mr. Scrooge? No, my friend. The old Scrooge is dead. 
I become a brand new man when I receive Ja in my life. And over at the toy shop. I want all these presents taken to Bob Gratchit's right away. I don't care about no cost. Uh, for Ja provide the bread. Uh, yes, sir. Um, where did you get that crazy accent here in London? Then over at Mrs. Cooper's place. Mrs. Cooper, please forgive me. No woman, no cry. Your bed, it has been cancelled. Oh, thank you, Mr. Scrooge. God bless you. Oh, he has, man. Mrs. Cooper, he has. I got cougar hands in my stash tonight. And finally, Something special God. in his talking. <laughs> and crutch it. I'm come for you, man. I got presents for all of your children, and I'm doubling your salary. Yo, yo, what, sir? Thank you, sir. I can't believe it. And <laughs> Mrs. Cratchit, here's something for you. The biggest goose I ever had. Oh, Mr. Scrooge, it's beautiful. You must join us for dinner. Oh, I love my doll. And now is Tiny Tim. I've been praying for you, Mr. Scrooge. Thank you, Tiny Tim. God answer your prayer. He the man. He the man upstairs. Job, Bob, we get Tiny Tim. <laughs> the finest doctors in all of Jamaica. Thank you, Mr. Scrooge. <laughs> Tiny Tim. get well soon. But Mr. Scrooge, where is your present? Oh, I got it in me stocking, man. God, he provide me with some beautiful herb. I got a God's wonderful gift, man. I got eternal life, and when I receive Jah is me savior. Now, I love everybody. It's a one love, man, and I have peace. Oh, Mr. Scrooge, I'm so glad that you're going to heaven. So am I, child. So am I. God bless us, everyone. Yes, tiny Tim, he has damn right. No woman, no that, oh, oh my goodness. One love, one heart. Wait, I think that line was stolen. I definitely think that last line that Tiny Tim said. Hear the children crying. It's in the public domain. My goodness. All right. So, uh, how that was amazing. Count the accents. That was a very, very bizarre. Uh, version of a Christmas carol. I may be the best, maybe the worst. One of the two. So, uh, there's a lot of laughter in the studio. That's because we're unprofessional. Okay. Uh, what we're debating is whether this uh, this here version of a uh, Christmas carol, sort of based on Charles Dickens' work, is is the true one, is, is right about this whole um, Jesus thing. Alright. Uh, sir, what's your name? I'm the Vampire Lestat. Vampire Lestat. I believe he's from France. That's just a popular rumor. Okay. Okay. So you're from Britain. Confirm or deny? Hmm? I beg your pardon. You're from Britain? Yes. Actually from Britain. And you, sir? I'm Scotty McOcleary. Scotty McOcleary. I... What are your qualifications, Scotty? I... All right. Let's uh, let's find out which of them is for uh, this uh, argument and which is against it. Flip the coin, lad! And uh, here we are. Oh, sir, you you believe this is 100% correct, Mr. O Mr. McOcleary? I... I... And Mr. Lestat, you... Uh, Mr. The Vampire Lestat, please. Which part is your first name? Hmm? Which part is your first name? The. So, Mr. Vampire Lestat. Yes. Is it hyphenated? What kind of name is that? It's a better name than you, Mr. Generic Ethnic Names. That's quite a biting, a biting slur. All right, uh, let's begin. Attacker goes first. Attacker, attack. Now, let's see here. Eternal life is promised if I accept Jesus. That's plainly not true. I, for instance, have never accepted Jesus in my life. All 500 years of it. So you're 
you're saying you don't have to accept Jesus to get eternal life. Precisely. And your proof is that you've never died. Yes. I could say the same thing. There you go. I lied to me too. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> but did you accept Jesus? I Equally persuasive. Over a pint of ale. Oh, come now. You accepted him over a pint of ale as in you were drinking, or, or you, somebody said, Jesus or a pint of ale, and you said Jesus. <laughs> come on. <laughs> Do you really think I would pick Jesus over a pint of ale? I couldn't tell you. I never drink ale. What do you drink? Um, not ale. That's for certain. Aye, why don't you drink ale? What do you drink? Some wine? Come now. I'm the vampire Lestat guy. What do you think I drink? Guy? Lad. Lad. Uh. Okay, okay. so you're a little boy. Precisely. All right, so this debate is is uh, quite heated. All right, we have an expert right over there. Uh, madam, I believe you're an expert. Uh, tell us what you're an expert in so that we can uh, hear your expertise. Um... I'm an expert in ant farming. Uh, okay. Excellent. You know, I'm going to fire my producer. Okay, <laughs> what? Uh, how does ant farming... How does ant farming relate to this tract? Um, well, I imagine that the ants have probably accepted Jesus because they, they live a while and do good things. Right on for the ants. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so uh, can you get can you get Ronnie on the phone? I think I want to fire. No, please, serious. I'm serious. Call Ronnie. Okay, um, I believe actually we have Charles Dickens on the line. Uh, Charles Charles Dickens on the line, uh, direct from the afterworld. Mr. Dickens, are you there? Can you hear me? Why? Yes. Yes. Uh, oh, it's a very clear line. I'm right, glad. Yeah. Yes. Okay, Mr. Dickens. Oh, there we go. Oh, it's a little a little hazy. There. Uh, uh, pardon that. Yep. Uh, you see, it's are you on a cellular broadcasting from beyond the grave. Oh, is this? Do they get cellular? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point is, listen. Uh, we have a guy here who says that uh, Christmas Carol is really about accepting Jesus in your life, and then another guy who's saying it's oh! another guy who's saying it's about uh, vampires. What do you think, sir? You wrote it and everything. Well, I truly think that that is quite a uh, excuse the uh, phrase here. A crackpot interpretation. Uh, which, which one? The vampire one or the uh, Jesus one? Bloody hell. Vampires? Bloody? Uh, he said bloody. Oh, come now. So Charlie! Maybe- Charlie! It's Lestat! Where's that five bucks you owe me, Chuck, huh? What's the deal? I invited you to the to the writer's luncheon. Was that not enough, Lestat? <laughs> oh, come now, Chuck. Five dollars is five dollars. I in Louie for you. Is that not enough? Okay, maybe sneaking in Louie was enough. I mean, okay, um, be a jerk about it, Chuck. All right. Uh, oh, it sounds like uh, Mr. Dickens is breaking up. Okay, we're taking that off the air. I'm taking him off. I'm taking him off. Sorry about that, static everyone. But that was Charles Dickens. I have it assured. Uh, fortunately, uh, Ronnie did book him before he booked the ant girl. So, um. All right, we're gonna we're gonna find out. Any closing arguments, uh, sir? Attacker. Um, five hundred years without Jesus and still glowing. Ho oh, oh, ho oh, ho! That's oh. what you think. What? Who on earth is that? Vampire. Have you no shame for Christmas? I've come to kick ass and eat candy canes, and I'm all out of candy canes this year. Bring it on, dark one! Oh, oh Santa, fight! Aye, aye! Good! Oh, Bring come on, and fight! Let's Bring go! And fight! Bring it! <laughs> oh, oh you my remember God. me from Mexico City, Santa? Oh, 
move, hit you, devil you! I'll oh. get both of you! It is time for round two, Santa! <laughs> oh my here. goodness, oh my goodness, it looks like Santa's got a... Do you gotta, smell uh, what I'm taking best. I'm I taking this. Your San- Christmas is about to become ho, ho, horrible! Santa's <laughs> picking up the folding chair. Oh, the vampire was fat, took it right in the head. I look at... He's grabbing a hold of him in a headlock. Oh, he's got the devil in a headlock. Ah! Oh, he just snapped the devil's head off. There's blood all over the whole studio. And vampire Lestat's licking it up all over the place. Somebody help me, my water just broke! And there's a pregnant lady here. Ant girl, deliver the baby. Oh my goodness. The king has been killed! All right, all right. There's, it, things are pretty hectic. Things are pretty hectic. I gotta figure out who won this fight. Wait, you said the word fight. That's today's secret word. Ah! What a miss. <laughs> um, actually, you missed the whole debate, and actually, Mr. Uh, Mick O'Clary here uh, I... won the debate. I... Awesome! So drink a I'll get you for this god! If you want to. <laughs> Everyone, that was a satanic sacrifice because he killed the devil. <laughs> and that was a slap in God's slap face. In God's face. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, congratulations, Mr. Mick O'Clary. Uh, sorry, you. Mr. Lestat, Mr. The Vampire Lestat. And hopefully you'll all come back for our next debate uh, next year when we talk about whether cows can be turned into vampires. Yes. I, I think they can. All right. We heard it right from the horse's mouth. Everybody, hey. Uh, yes. I don't say nasty things about you, bloodsack. Everyone. Um. You just called him a blood sack. That might be considered nasty. Everyone else. <laughs> it is the truth. He is a sack of blood. Hi, having a baby over here. Oh, oh he's got even more blood. We've, Ooh, we've already hey, sent the dirt. ants up to pull the baby out. <laughs> we've sent the ants up to pull the baby out. <laughs> Relax. Ow, ow. It doesn't hurt. Do you feel a little tickling up that ass? They can carry a lot of a lot of weight. They're pulling them out. Relax. Everything's going to be fine. Oh, I, I see a head and a neck. Um, all right, all right, all right, all right, everybody. Speaking on behalf of the vampire Lestat, Mr. Mick O'Clary, the I... pregnant lady, the ant girl, the random girl who walked in halfway through, Charles Dickens, and in fact, Santa Claus, and the dead devil, I'd like to wish you all a happy holidays and uh, enjoy your uh, personal beliefs, even if we've proven them wrong on the show. Your play Dominus Benedictatus Benedictus Fructus Ventris Tui Jesus.